Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests you'd like to see on the podcast or topics you'd like to see covered, or you just want to get hold, get a hold of the podcast, please reach out to us at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Kim Jelonski. Kim currently serves as the Executive Director of Clinical Solutions, Field Applications, and Connectivity Informatic Solutions at Cepheid. I had Kim on the podcast today to discuss everything going on in the diagnostic market, the growth, where it's going, personalized medicine, other hot areas, the importance of it with the flu season coming up, and helping doctors diagnose more effectively. So if this is an area that is interesting to you, you're really going to enjoy the discussion I had with Kim. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my discussion with Kim Jelonski. Medical innovation starts with medical discussion. Talking about the future and what comes next with Project MedTech. Okay, Kim, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, let's talk a little bit. We'll start with uh, your bio, a little bit of your background in the industry, um, your current role. But but let's start from the very beginning. Uh, you started as a medical technologist. So let's start there and take us through a, a little bit of your experience. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a medical technologist by, by training. Um, uh, started doing uh, laboratory, you know, testing back in the 90s, uh, finished med tech school and, and went into microbiology. Um, that was a love of mine uh, during my training and just kind of stuck with, with the whole infectious disease and uh, bacteria route and, and virology um, as, as something that even back then fascinated me, much to the chagrin of, of all of my family and friends who were doing finance and everything else. I wanted to be in the lab and uh, playing with samples and patient samples. So um, it was always something that, that fascinated me. As, yeah. from hey, a, I, yeah. I, I can simplement. I, I mean, I can uh, uh, sympathize with that. Uh, you know, I'm a chemist by training. I love the lab. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. And then, so after that, you moved into working with Covance. Is that correct? I did. I spent about a decade with Covance, and, um, which was a totally different uh, route to take as far as laboratory testing and laboratory medicine is concerned, um, doing and performing clinical trials, um, uh, large global clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies. And um, I had the opportunity to join uh, the genomics department there at, at, at its infancy, um, where they were doing these things called PCR and um, looking at sequences of, of different pathogens and uh, extracting DNA and RNA. And even from, from being a recent graduate um, in the 90s, this, these were things we were just reading about, right? Mm -hmm. you, we weren't trained on them. There was no formal training. So uh, having the opportunity to do that um, back then was, was a real honor, honestly, to be trained on the job to learn how to do some of these things. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, I know when we had our, our, our pre-discussion call, um, this was kind of cool because, you know, currently I work at Covance during, during my day job as on the medical device team. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's, it's, it's really interesting. And, and it's, it's, uh, for, for me, it's been really interesting because it's my first experience at a, a company of that size, which is, which is just kind of wild to think they have 20,000 employees and <laughs> 60, if you include, uh, LabCorp. <laughs> It's grown quite a bit since yeah. I was there, for, for sure. Yeah. But it is an interesting opportunity to to learn a different side of the of the business. Yeah. Um, and to understand how medical technology plays such a key role in in bringing drugs to to the market. Um, and and you learn a lot, and you learn how detailed and and, and rightfully so 
clinical trials should be, right? Yeah. Um, when we're develop when pharmaceutical companies are developing compounds and just the rigorous uh, details and and testing that goes into um, each of these compounds, it's it's fascinating and mm-hmm. and, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um... You know, while we're here, I know we're we'll, we'll finish the rest of the the bio here. But you know, the one thing that that intrigues me about uh, clinical trials, whether it be drug, device, diagnostic, it doesn't matter. Um, one thing that's fascinating is I think that when I had first started, I had always thought, yeah, oh, yeah, you do the clinical trial to get to market. Um, but really, when it comes to clinical strategy and and what you're trying to prove in your clinical trial. It's just there's there's so much more. There's there's the regulatory hurdles. There's the reimbursement. You know how are we going to get covered? What do we need to prove to get covered? And then there's how are we you know going to get the marketing data? And and how do we do this in the most efficient manner so that we're not wasting money and going back and having to do other trials? And I think that was really the coolest piece was how much thought goes into them uh, for yeah. successful ones. And then. The sad piece is how much thought doesn't go into them when they're not successful. But uh, yeah, that's that, that's pretty cool. Um, okay, so after Covance, you moved on to uh, is it Mid America Clinical Laboratories? Yeah, I sure did. Um, Mid America, a uh, one of the largest regional reference laboratories in the state of Indiana, um, and was the regional lab director there um, and had the responsibility for not only just molecular, but, but all of the disciplines within, within the laboratory. So chemistry, metology, special chemistry, um, cytology, uh, blood bank, and, and different aspects of, of the clinical laboratory, as well as molecular. Had the opportunity to lead that, that team there for for about five years and uh, developed the molecular lab there um, from, from the ground up. And it gave me an opportunity to look at some new technology that was on the market at the time. Um, and, and that's how I uh, became acquainted with Cepheid um, and became a customer of Cepheid um, back then in the mid to early 2000s. And, um, and had the chance to work with them directly um, from not only just a customer using their technology on patients for patient care, but also in, in development of their future assays as well. So I kind of played two roles as being a customer of Cepheid back then. Okay. And then I'm assuming that uh, there must be a story behind. <laughs> There's a story. <laughs> There's a story, you know. Um, you know, being a, a career laboratorian, there were there was a lot of opportunities to work with Cepheid, and um, I'll just say it: be that squeaky wheel um, that that gets a lot of the attention when you when you're used to um, working with with large vendors um, like I was uh, dealing with a, a, a small startup company at the time you know, I had a lot of expectations. And so I made a lot of demands. And um, because I had a lot of patients that that I needed to to serve and, and use their technology for. So became really close with with the um, leadership at Cepheid, um, so much so that um, they said, but just just come on board, <laughs> just, just come work for us. Um, and I thought, wow, this is interesting. I'm not sure, you know, I've always been in the lab. I've never been on that side, um, on what they call the dark side, but, um, it, it was, it, it took a bit of time to, to come to that, um, uh, understanding that, you know, I could do this. I can, I can, I can work on this side too. So, uh, almost 10 years later, here I am, I've been at Cepheid for, working on my 10th year now. So okay. I, I guess it's been successful. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's been okay. Um, but uh, joined Cepheid and started out as just a, um, a clinical solutions executive and working with, with the, the customers of Cepheid to help justify and um, understand how the technology that Cepheid provides can you know, critically 
impact their their clinical pathways and patient pathways. Um, and you and I have talked about this before, but you know, laboratory technology is amazing, um, and and there's a lot of it that's out there. But if if we don't take it to the next step and really connect the dots, um, it's just a piece of equipment in the laboratory. So it really is important that we uh, drive and work with the clinical stakeholders um, to show how having a accurate result and a fast result can really impact the clinical uh, and patient pathways. Mm-hmm. Great. And so <clears throat> let's, that, that, that is where I want to spend uh, the majority of the time, but let's just quickly for, for the listeners, maybe explain uh, what's, you know, Cepheid as a company um, sure. and, and, and what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Cepheid is a molecular diagnostics company that, um, uh, our our mission is to deliver a better way to improve patient outcomes by enabling access to molecular diagnostic testing everywhere. We're a global organization um, with the largest molecular footprint of of any uh, vendor in in this molecular you know uh, landscape. So our system, the Gene Expert system, is the easiest system to use. Um, I will uh, reference back to my days at, at Covance where we were we were doing very difficult technology um, in multiple rooms. And what Cepheid has been able to do is to take all that complexity and, and simplify it into a, a cartridge or a consumable that's very easy for the end user to do so that I can do PCR, Dwayne, you can do PCR, believe it or not, I could teach you in about a minute and, and you would be PCR trained, it's that easy. So that was the really the vision of Cepheid was to take this highly complex technical scientific method and make it so that anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. Anyone across the globe can do it. And that's really been our mission in, in why we do what we do. Because, you know, as we know now in COVID, right? I mean, we've talked more about technology and testing has been discussed on CNN and, you know, all Fox and, and all of the news channels where it's, it's never been in the forefront before. So the fact that, you know, m- my family goes, that's what you do. I get it now, right? All of these years later, that's what you guys do. Um, that's how mainstream it is. And Cepheid has been at the forefront of that because for years we've made molecular testing, this very difficult PCR technology, we, we've enabled that so that anyone can do it. Yeah, that's that, that's great. And, and, and about how big is um, Cepheid in terms of... Um, number of employees and, 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 and things like that. Oh my goodness. You know, I'll have to, um, I'll have to explain <laughs> here because we've grown so much. I will say when, when I started about 10 years ago, there were about 1200 employees and, you know, fast forward, I, I venture to say it's, it's, I know it's more than double that. So okay. three to four global employees, if not more, Okay. Um, we have grown so much in the last, even just the last few years, just for, from the demand of, of understanding what molecular technology is about and what it can do. And, and more importantly, how physicians and um, clinical stakeholders understand the value of molecular diagnostics. That demand has gone up. Yeah. So we, we continue to grow. Okay. I mean, Cepheid's a, a publicly traded company, correct? We are part of Danaher, which is a okay. publicly traded company, Danaher okay. Corporation. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, and are there specific therapeutic areas that, that Cepheid plays in, or is it kind of, you know, they'll, they'll take on anything, um, but you must have a sweet spot. <laughs> sure. Well, by, by definition, when you think about molecular technology, mm-hmm. um, lends itself to just the basics of molecular are the building blocks, RNA and DNA. And yeah. so when you, when you look at the pathology of, of what has RNA or DNA, 
that's bacteria, it's viruses, it's um, organisms like that are where molecular technology tends to lend itself the, the best to. So as I say that infectious disease, um, healthcare acquired infectious diseases, um, such as MRSA, you've heard of MRSA, yeah. um, you've heard of influenza, <laughs> everyone knows about flu, uh, group A strep, so strep throat, um, and some more, you know, critically infectious diseases such as tuberculosis. Okay. Um, and uh, as far as virology, hepatitis C, HIV, those, those types of infectious diseases as well as um, women's health with group B strep um, uh, and, and sexual health for chlamydia, gonorrhea, anything that, that can be infectious is, is where we tend to play. However, there is a, um, a need and a, and a pathway for oncology as well. So we do have um, a couple of oncology and hemonc assays that are available on the market today. Um, such as Factor 2 and Factor 5 Leiden, as well as BCR able. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that's 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 helpful. Um, well, the oncology market, you know, that's that's certainly going to be huge. I, I'm, I'm a, are you? I'm going to plead a little bit of ignorance here. I'm assuming you're talking about, um, you know, doing these tests to determine which drugs would fit fit for a patient. Is that is that kind of where this is headed? Yeah, for in, in some aspects, that is yeah. correct. Um, okay. When you think about influenza, for example, um, it, it, now there is a therapeutic for influenza. And so if you have in, if you test positive for the flu, the, the physician can determine whether or not to treat you mm-hmm. or to um, or to not. Um, in other aspects, such as strep throat, right? There's antibiotics available for that. So it's important to note for antibiotic stewardship, whether we, we need to give you antibiotics or not. Um, there's some uh, pathogens that just simply knowing and how to monitor and manage the symptoms is, is all that we can do, mm-hmm. such as um, respiratory syncytial virus, RSV. That's another test that we offer, as well as, as others such as as MRSA or Staph aureus, where antibiotics are critical to mm-hmm. to the success of treatment, um, but understanding the right antibiotic Correct. in that case, right? There's a lot of antibiotics out there, and and oftentimes if if you enter the hospital and and we're not quite sure what's wrong, you may be put on a broad spectrum antibiotic. So understanding what the um, pathogen is or isn't it's critical to that antibiotic stewardship so that the clinicians can say, it's not this, we're going to take you off of that really strong antibiotic. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. So, you know, I want to talk about the diagnostic market, um, you know, the growth, where's it going? You know, one of the areas I'd written down was personalized medicine and we, we, we kind of touched on that. I mean, that's going to be huge, but let's, let's, let's start from the top. I mean, so we've seen in, in COVID, um, during COVID times, how important the diagnostic market is. Um, you know, we, we've seen a lot about the vaccine. We've seen a lot about the, um, uh, some of the different drugs coming to market. That, that's, that's all great. But, but generally speaking, and I, I had a, a guy named uh, Michael Brannigan Harris on, and, and we kind of talked about this. He was one of my, I don't know, sixth or seventh guests, but we, we recorded it back in like May or June or something like this. And we were talking about it. And, you know, we had said, if if a country gets attacked, uh, of course, the obvious thing is to beef up their, their military, right? But the other piece of that is beefing up your early detection systems. And, and we kind of use that as a pretty good analogy um, for COVID, right? So we had COVID creep in the, really the first people, the first people, the first technology to really break in was the diagnostic market. And it was quick and, and it was efficient and, and it always got better. I mean, stories of, well, okay, we have a test that takes an hour. Now there's tests being approved that take like five to 10 minutes. So the diagnostic, the diagnostic market is key. 
I mean, if we don't have this, if we don't beef this up, all this other technology, the drugs, the devices, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, this is the first and forefront. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, just the market in general, the growth you see, where you see it going in the future. I know this is a massive question. We'll take it piece by piece, but yeah. start there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. The diagnostic market in general continues to grow year after year after year, right? And when you look at, even just when you look at technology, so Dwayne, when you, you look at what we're doing today, right? I can see you, you can see me via Zoom. Um, we have phones in our pockets. So as technology continu continues to evolve, that trickles right into the diagnostic market as well, right? We are um, looking at all the latest technology to incorporate into our system. So across the board, not just from a molecular standpoint like Cepheid, but, but from a diagnostic offering across the board, things continue to evolve. We get better as the, the technology that we even use personally gets better. Um, so that continues to evolve. I think the, the latest number I saw, um, including up to 2022, was that diagnostics in general was a $90 billion industry. Um, it, it's actually just in routine diagnostics, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we have an aging population and um, none of us are getting any younger. So the, the older we get, the more, the more testing we need, the more screening we need, all of these things. So, so the diagnostic and laboratory market itself continues to grow year after year. When you begin to look at what you were discussing with infectious disease, um, that, that market has evolved tremendously over the past decade as, as technology has, has allowed it to. Um, we've been able to do, as you mentioned, remarkable things seemingly overnight um, with, with technology that's um, been afforded to us. When you look at just COVID in general, um, as soon as you know, we had the first uh, you know, bulk of samples that were sequenced out of China and those sequences were shared, across the globe, manufacturers in the diagnostic molecular market were able to create tests just because of this virtual aspect of here's what it looks like, you know, here's, here's the sequence, um, go forth. And you can, you can do that pretty, pretty rapidly as you and I discussed. So, you know, it's been trem a, a tremendous monumental um, achievement for all of diagnostics. Um, that, that we've been able to do what we've been able to do in such a short amount of time. As I mentioned with you, COVID was not a word in, in this year, the beginning of this year, in the first quarter of this year, than any of us were talking about. Mm -hmm. It wasn't on any strategy. It wasn't on any plan. It wasn't a word that was even defined. Um, mm -hmm. And when you look at not just Cepheid, but all of our, our peers and uh, across the market and, and how quickly people have come to the task and, and created tests, like you said, that have continued to get better and better and better. It's been remarkable. It's yeah. been a, a real remarkable response. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a big team effort, kind of like you described there. Um, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into these and there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that have to be successful in order for other companies and other people to be successful. And, um, it really, it was really, really effective. I mean, I just had a conversation with, with someone who, um, really didn't know much about, um, the situation or, or not, not much about the situation, but they only knew what they watched on TV. Right. And, sure. and they were saying, man, how, how incredible are these vaccines coming to market? And, you know, it must have been a great team effort. And I said, yeah, for sure. But the diagnostic part was, I'll say, equally as impressive. And, and, it, and it really didn't get that much of a coverage, right? It was, mm -hmm. it, they, they kind of did, but not really, not from the national media. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's, you know, pharma dominates um, national media um, because of <laughs> the money that can be made there. Um, but, but med tech... And, and diagnostics, I mean, they're kind of one and the same, but you know, they, they, they deserve some serious attention as well. Um, so I, you know, it, it was really impressive to watch that unfold and I'm, I'm glad you share the same passion about it that, <laughs> that I do. 
Yeah, it's um, and and I think one of the things that um, you know, I've learned, and and certainly you're learning now, when you do clinical trials, you understand that diagnostics is such a huge part of pharma and of not only of drug development, therapeutics, but also vaccine development. Um, You have to have the right patients and the right subjects before you can even begin testing these compounds. And and the only way you get to that is is through diagnostics, is through laboratory testing, to make sure that um, the therapies work, the vaccines work, everything is is working the way it's supposed to. So you you, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of touched on, you know, personalized medicine. You you talked about in the infectious disease space. Um, and we briefly mentioned it in oncology oncology, but I'd like to dive in a little bit more into the oncology space. Cause I think that it's just, you know, by nature, a pretty popular space. Um, can you touch a little bit more on, on, on how you see that evolving, you know, in the future? Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, as we continue to to learn more, I mean, there's no denying what we've seen with breast cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Just from a, a an oncology perspective, and really personalized therapeutics for breast cancer yeah. based on the type of of breast cancer that you have, right? So they are tailored specific therapeutics, whether they're hormone based or chemo based, based on the type of 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 cancer that you have. That's personalized medicine at, at, you know, some of the, the greatest um, success that I, that I think we've seen today um, with, with tremendous success rates. My own mother is past her five-year mark based on wow. her personal therapy. And, and so just to see that she didn't have to go through the radiation and the chemotherapy. She didn't have to do that because of the type of breast cancer that she had. Um, it is, it's tremendous. And so that's kind of where we are. Um, and, and we're making more and more strides. We see it on, on the TV. We see it in our magazines, you know, ask your doctor about if, if mm-hmm. this is right for you, if this is right for you as personalized medicine, right? right? It, it's, um, will this work for you? You know, working and understanding the human genome is, is is pretty fascinating, especially when you get into some of the drug metabolizing genes. And and we understand intuitively, Dwayne, you know what works for you. You know if Tylenol works for you or Advil works for you if you have a headache. Um, for me, it's Advil. Tylenol, not so much. Advil, yes. That's personalized medicine. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, and, at its core. And so intuitively, I think we learn through trial and error what some of that is. Um, and so you just take it to the next degree um, yep. when you start talking about oncology and some of these things. So what's going to work for me in, in the cancer that I have or the disease that I have? Um, because what may work for me may not work for you, right? Yeah. It, we have. Yep. And it's as simple as yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, I, I get uh, just being in the sciences. And so actually, you know, and now I'll, I'll go back a little bit. I actually did uh, research as part of my undergrad. Um, oh boy, 12 years ago now. Um, yikes. Uh, I did, I did research as part of my undergrad uh, on triple negative breast cancer. Um, mm-hmm. So it was figuring out ways at that, at that point in time, it was so difficult to detect triple negative breast cancer. Um, so we were looking at ways to try to, to detect that a little bit more. And, and we had a couple solutions, but they were really early on. Right. Um, and, and now they've been shuffled around to outside of the university to other companies, but, but it was, it was really, you know, it was really gratifying, uh, research to do, especially when you go to events like Susan G. Coleman, Coleman and whatnot, but you know, you, you've seen the evolution. I mean, that's just been 12 years. The evolution of that is, is, is insane <laughs> to think about how quickly, um, we've moved to more better, you know, better detection methods. Um, but you know, I think when I get the question, um, Dwayne, what, you know, why isn't there a cure for cancer? Uh, and obviously this isn't coming from other people in the industry. It's coming from people outside, but you know, they, right. they ask this question, they ask this question. It's like, well, we have a lot of cures for cancer, Some, yeah. but, but the, the, the problem a lot of times is we don't know what works for you, right? We know what works for the masses. And, and that's when I say 
personalized medicine is so big because mm -hmm. now we could sit there and say, is it, is it, is it going to work for everyone? I mean, probably not. Nothing ever works for everybody, but at least we could say, Hey, we know based on, uh, you know, these tests that this drug is going to be a better option for you than this one. And, and mm -hmm. that is huge. So I tell people we probably already have cures. It's just, we need to personalize it. And, and that's the next step in treatment for patients. And you talk about patient yeah. empowerment. That's it right there is personalized medicine. So personalized medicine. And, and I will, you know, I'll switch gears on you a little bit and yeah. throw this concept out to you as well. You know, there is this um, a, a wave, I would say, that's been, you know, COVID has been a catalyst for a lot of things. And um, in regards of personalized medicine, I think COVID's uh, been a great catalyst. When you think about the delivery model of medicine being personalized. Mm -hmm. COVID has really um, highlighted that for, for the healthcare industry. And it's this kind of the shift of, of, of the delivery models that are available, right? So what works for me may not work for you, Dwayne. What, what works for me is I want to tell a health visit where I can get on the phone with a doctor. That's personalized to me. Um, versus what may work for you or your neighbor is to drive to a clinic and, and see a physician. So, or, and, or you may go to a pharmacy. You may um, want to get on the phone, right? So very personalized delivery models for care. Um, that's another aspect of personalized medicine that I think the younger generations, the generations that are younger than us, um, will continue to drive um, yeah. and, and really build on the technologies that are available. Um, it's, it's this access to care and this demand of they own their own personal um, health care and they want it delivered when they want it, how they want it, and in the vehicle or the model that, that work best for them in their lifestyle. So we've, we've started to see that a lot. And, and diagnostics is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. Having diagnostics that, that anyone can use, that are accurate, that have um, the delivery so that clinicians that are trying to meet all these different care, care models um, still have the same quality of diagnostics that they did within a hospital or within their clinics are now available outside mm -hmm. to meet these. So you've got these two, you know, um, demands, if you will, I still need high quality care and diagnostics, but I want to do it where I want to do it and when I want to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's another aspect of personalized medicine that, that we're yeah. seeing come to it. this new yeah. patient in the way that the patient wants it. Yep. And, and so I haven't, you know, I'm just thinking about this now, so I'm going to shoot from the hip here, but, uh, if you think about three big areas, right, we've, we've talked about diagnostics, you mentioned telehealth, right? I mean, mm -hmm. telehealth is going to be huge, um, moving forward. And then the other one is, uh, wearables. Um, so yeah. like for instance, right here, I'm wearing a, uh, and I've, this is like, yeah, this is like the, this, this, the third time I've done this in an episode, but I'm talking about the whoop band and, and this is yeah. a band, you know, there's a bunch of them. There's the Apple watch Fitbit. There's a ton yeah. of them, but, uh, for some people, you know, like I, I, I go do blood work. That's a snapshot in time. Um, right. you know, of, of how my blood work is, but, but the whoop band, it doesn't read anything in my blood, but it's a constant monitor of my heart rate, my heart rate variability. How am I sleeping? How am I recovering? You know, it does all these things. And, and some of the technology is getting even crazier. I just saw the Apple watch is going to be a, um, a pulse ox. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. oh my goodness. So, uh, you know, they just, they just keep going to the, to the next step. Um, but, you know what though? It's, it's for people who love that kind of information. It's a, it's a great tool and it goes along with this, this personalized medicine and patient empowerment. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really cool to see. Um, okay. Yeah, and diagnosis is a big part of that and how, right. you know, in as technology evolves, the, so does the diagnostic technology that goes with 
um, with the wearables and mm -hmm. the phone and everything that we have. And, and I think that generations, you know, that follow us will really understand and will really harness the power of some of this technology. Yeah. Yep. It's, 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 it's exciting stuff. <laughs> so, um, uh, I think I covered a lot of the questions I had written down. I wanted to hit on the diagnostic market. The only other one I had was, um, helping doctors diagnose more effectively. Um, mm -hmm. we want to touch a little bit about that before I move on to a few other areas that fall outside of diagnostic. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, you know, when you, when you look at diagnostics and diagnosing, in general, um, obviously, there it, laboratory diagnostics is one piece mm -hmm. of, of a bigger puzzle, right? And um, the the better that the diagnostic is, right, the better the better information that we can provide um, for the for the for the physician. So, um, you know, I think it's been quoted that seventy percent of of diagnostic um, information, you know, information that clinicians use are from laboratory tests. And so the better our tests are, the more accurate they are, the more specific they are, the, the, um, the more improved and efficient clinical diagnosing can be. Um, so what does that mean? It means better patient care. It means the right drug for the right bug, we say that a lot, right drug, right bug, the like first that. time. <laughs> um, when, when you talk about antimicrobial stewardship, um, just the whole cost, e healthcare economics behind patient management is important, especially when you get to an acute um, care setting like a, like a hospital, um, making sure that the diagnosis and the diagnostics are appropriate enough and efficient enough and accurate enough that that patients can go home on time. They can go home a day or two earlier, right? So the whole economies of, of healthcare are, are driven by accurate diagnosis, mm -hmm. right? And correct treatment and correct therapies, not the second time, but the first time. Um, and so the better off, the better that we do and as manufacturers of diagnostics, the better that our treating clinicians can can do with their patients. Yep, that's great. That's great. Anytime you know, anytime you talk to um, uh, uh, investors, um, but anyone in the med tech industry, if you can cut down time in the hospital or make something mm -hmm. uh, more cost effective for a patient, it's a win win. Um, mm -hmm. So that's 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 great to hear. Um, Okay. Uh, what other, uh, are, are, are you, any other ventures you're doing? I, I, I know last time we talked, um, uh, maybe you were doing something with young scientists in the, in the, in the industry or. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. Um, it, again, as I mentioned, COVID has been the catalyst for a lot of changes and a lot of yeah. things in mm -hmm. our lives. Um, and one of which it has been with, with just the understanding of what laboratory science is and what laboratory diagnostics are. And, and so, you know, I've spoken with just with my own family and where I have educators in, in my family that have said, you know, and even my own grandson has said, you know, I want to work in a lab when I grow up. And, and teachers have said, for it's the first time they can ever remember that, kids are saying they don't want to be, you know, it's always a doctor, a nurse, a librarian, a, uh, a astronaut. They want to be a, a scientist, a laboratory scientist. So yeah. um, they want to work in the lab. And um, I, my, uh, I have one of my relatives that said that she had a child in one of her classes that said he wanted to be a virus hunter. Yeah. He wanted to go viruses I thought that was tremendous. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Um, I was a virus hunter. So, you know, it's just the, um, it, but that's because of COVID, right? Yeah. And it's just the, the exposure that, that it has gotten, which is, which is great for the STEM, you know, curriculum, mm -hmm. uh, for, for the kids in school that, 
that they have an interest in science, that they have an interest in in what we're doing in the laboratory, and in that they have an interest in in science in general, which is amazing. So that is one aspect I think that um, we'll continue to see, especially for such a population like like myself of med techs that are aging out. You know, mm-hmm. we are. Many of us are hitting the retirement age. I'm not quite there, but it's knocking on the door. Um, and and so we haven't had that funnel to replace a lot of the med techs that that have mm-hmm. retired, especially over the last decade. We have we just simply haven't had it. And so um, you know, med tech school programs have closed just because of lack of interest. And um, and I think that that if the demand goes up. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we'll, we'll see that resurgence again, which is which is desperately needed. Again, we have an aging population; more diagnostics are needed more than ever before. Um, and in just looking at the technology and d- just disease in general, how advanced we are, we need people to to run the tests and understand them and and be able to interpret them and, and help clinicians understand what the test means. So it's, it's good to see that the interest is back with, with, um, and I've heard this across the country from, yeah. from a lot of that kids are interested in it. So yeah. that, it warms my heart. It makes me excited. Yeah. <laughs> for, for that part of the future. Yeah. It's really cool to see. Um, so my, uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law are teachers at a high school near us and they ask us to come in on uh, career day for their what they call their biomed students and um you know there's doctors nurses pharmacists nurse practitioners anything you could think of you know there's there's they're they're there as well and then um there's uh, a medical uh, technologist there that goes and and then there's also uh, I go as well and I just represent research in general I keep it very broad you know and um it is crazy the I mean I, I when I when I was in high school nobody said Oh, I want to go be a chemist. Even me. I said, I want to go be a pharmacist. And then all of a sudden, two years in, I go, oh, no, no, I want to be a chemist. That's what I want to do. Right. And it changes. I've had Mm -hmm. kids come up there and say, hey, can I talk to you? I I want to be a biomedical engineer. Whoa, great. Okay. Uh, Hey, can I talk to you? I, I, I want to be a chemist. I want to be in drug development. And I'm like, yeah, let's, I mean, come on, we could talk for hours, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's like, cool. yeah it's, it's, it's really, really cool to just see kids coming in already set on getting into, to research. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just, it's just really fascinating to see. And yeah, I'm seeing it increase every year I go, I've been going since 2018, every year we go, it's more and more and more kids who are, you know, interested in it. And, and I, you know, I, I'm definitely trying to sell them on it. Uh, I bring in devices with me. I bring in the artificial heart. I tell them stories about how we affected, you know, uh, patients with, uh, I always tell the story of a, a device we worked on, uh, in 2014 or 2015, where we worked with a company who, uh, helped kids who had, their esophagus didn't attach to their stomach. And it used to be like years of hospital visits and they've cut it down to, to two surgeries. You know, they inserted two magnets in there. And it's just like, I tell them those stories and I just try to tell them these stories. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I'm really interested in that now. You know, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. I so yeah, we'll see more of that too. As you know, we continue to drive the um, level of care to the to the lowest to the lowest area, which is near patient. Um, and so, as you know, and, and you hear about this a lot, you know, where you work with kids who may have been ill as a child, mm-hmm. and then they want to go into, they want to be a nurse, they want to be an oncologist, they want to do this because they themselves were part of the the healthcare system. So as we drive care closer to the patient and it's in front of them, I think that just that exposure mm-hmm. helps us, right? Just because just the lack of knowledge, even right. understanding what happens is, yep. is key for a lot of that. Um, so that, and, and we're in the era now in diagnostics where we are driving 
mm-hmm. to near patient testing um, as, as much as possible, even from a, a molecular standpoint where our technology can go anywhere and be anywhere, um, it is next to the patient. And so patients are able to see. And so those same kids that may see their sample get tested in front of them for strep throat, for example, they may be like, what is that? That's yeah. pretty cool. Right. How did that get there? You know, how did, and start asking all those questions of, well, why or how or how, right? Um, so I think that that, that in and of itself will, will continue to drive the interest too, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to, um, <clears throat> my old job when I worked for NAMSA, um, I would present on analytical chemistry and it's, and it's use in, in medical device testing. Um, and it was from more of a toxicology standpoint, but, um, one of my colleagues I worked with, she used to say, you know, a lot of times people think analytical chemistry was like CSI, how they present it, where you, you put this thing in and it pops out and says, okay, here's all the compounds in here. Yeah. Like that. Right. So, um, yeah. And, and in a little analytical chemistry, um, we're not there, right. Where I could put a sample in of something and it tells you everything it is. It'll tell you information, but someone has to interpret it. Um, yeah. but, but it is crazy because the, the diagnostic world is almost is moving towards something like that where, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can take a swap and in five minutes have this thing pop up and say, yes, no, here's what it is. You know? And, and it's like, that is, people don't understand how remarkable that is. It's like moving towards a, um, not Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, you know, like something like that. It's just, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's so cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. One day we'll walk around with a card that will have our entire human genome. Yeah. Um, for Kim and for Dwayne, all on our card. Yep. And it will tell us everything yeah. there is to know, yep. you know. Yeah, it'll be pretty, pretty, pretty cool. At least I, I geek out over that. I'm sure if you're a, if you're a um, person who, you know, <laughs> thinks like they, they, they hoard all their information, they don't lose, use online banking or something. I can see why uh, that would scare you, but I'm excited yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is personalized medicine. At, right. At yeah. the old, right. I mean, when you yeah. can carry around. Um, everything about your 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 health and your your yeah. genome, how your mom and dad made you, all of that stuff. Yeah, um, is pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, Kim, I I have everything I wanted to talk to you about checked off on my little list here. Um, I always ask guests at the end, do you have anything else for me, or any other topics yeah. you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, great. You know, I think that um, right now with with COVID, right? I mean, we'll be remiss. We've talked about it a bit more, but as we're entering, you know, you and I are sitting here. It's October. Um, flu season is upon us. Um, it's. I would be remiss to say that it, it's a time now where um, diagnostics is is critical as we enter this flu season, um, simply because symptoms of respiratory illness, they're, they're all similar, right? So, mm-hmm. um, uh, a fever, a cough, just respiratory stuff in general can be the symptoms for not only flu, can be the symptoms for COVID. It can be the symptoms for RSV in, in elderly or in children, uh, group A strep for strep throat. I mean, all of these symptoms are the same with very different treatment and therapeutic um, pathways, right? So diagnostics is critically important to distinguish those. Um, And so for our, you know, nurse practitioners, our physicians, our PAs, it's really important that that they have the diagnostics that we've brought to market as well as others have brought to market so that um, within a matter of minutes, like you've mentioned, um, we can tell from, from one swab, is it flu A, is it flu B, is it RSV, mm-hmm. is it COVID, is it SARS-CoV-2, um, or, or not, right? So each of those have a distinct treatment and therapeutic regimen that, that needs to be followed, as well as do I quarantine, do I not, can I go back to work, 
can I not? Can I go back to school or can I not? Um, all of these have downstream impacts, not only to, to the patient, but their families. Um, and if it's a child, you know, are they now off work? I mean, all of these things are really, really important. Um, and, and also goes along into that as well as stress through, right? So we're, we're hearing now from our physician partners and, and folks that we work with closely that it really is all respiratory all the time. Um, and it's really important for quarantining and contact tracing that they diagnose accurately and, and quickly for the mm -hmm. patients that, that have it or don't have it. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a really, really, really good point. Um, if you, if you, if you take the analogy of what you just said and, and liken it to playing a game, um, a board game is really difficult. If I say, I'm not going to tell you how to play or the rules, we're just going to learn on the fly. And I'll give you little pieces of information as we go. Um, yeah. the diagnostic yeah. tool is like getting the rule book, being able to watch other people play a game and having all that so that the first time you play, you're equipped with the information to make the right decisions. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm glad you made that. And I, I think that's a great one to end on too. So that was perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kim, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the wisdom and 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 the insight to the diagnostic market. It's something I, I haven't covered yet on the podcast. Um, and, and, and it was something I was wanting to cover. So it's worked out perfect. Great. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed um, meeting with you and, and sharing some of some of my passions um, and, and, and what we're facing today is, is a pivotal time. And it's, a, it's almost a sentinel time in, in the diagnostic industry and how we've been able to not only partner with with folks as it relates to, to COVID, but, but shine a light on really what is important about diagnostics and, and why the laboratory diagnostic industry is, is stronger than ever. It, it's, been, it's been fascinating and very rewarding. Great. Very rewarding. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. Hold on for one second. I'm going to stop the recording and then we'll do a quick download. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for myself or Kim, there's a link to our LinkedIn pages in the show notes or email the podcast and I'll make sure to get you in touch with Kim. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and feel free to visit the webpage www.projectmedtech.com or send us an email at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and have a great day.